0: Well, good morning, Grumelot Church. We are so glad that all of you are here today, particularly if it is your first time checking us out. We never, ever, ever take that for granted. Uh, Today, we are heading into part 11 of 12. Uh, So if you are new around here, you are catching us right at the end of this ride, but part 11 of 12 of a series titled Controversial Jesus, Uh, a series that has included topics such as the sexual revolution, the transgender community, same-sex attraction, abortion, politics, marriage and divorce, money, we are basically on a quest to offend everyone this fall. No, I'm just kidding. If you haven't been here for every single week of this series, you can conveniently get yourself caught up at Grumlaw.com messages, or you can find us under Grumlaw Church, wherever it is that you grab your podcast. Now, before I dive into the meat of today, uh, I, I want to emphasize and reemphasize something that, that I've said a couple of different times throughout this series, and uh, it's very simple. It is, thank you. <laughs> Thank you for being a faith community, and I really mean this, a faith community that is marked by your hunger for truth, for, for being a community of people who are willing to be pushed, uh, willing to be challenged, even when every bone in your body says, oh, I, I don't really like that, for, for being willing to look inward and admit that maybe at times you've, you've gotten it wrong, for, for, for most importantly, being a faith community that receives truth, and then goes out into the world and lives that truth with the grace that the gospel requires of us. I don't want to jinx myself, but I've literally not received one negative email, not one negative phone call, not one negative text, not one negative DM, and I believe that that really speaks to your hunger for God's word. So again, thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, the title of today's message is Jesus and Hell. Uh, If you're new around here, Welcome to Grumlaw Church. (laughs) In that, I would say, uh, please keep coming back. Please keep leaning in. Uh, We often issue this three-week challenge where we say, hey, come back for at least three straight weeks because every single week is unique. Every single week is different. Uh, We think it's going to take you at least a couple of weeks to really get an accurate feel of what Grumlaw is all about. Uh, You'll see that we do not talk about hell every single week. And I think uh, that if you keep coming back, Uh, The God of the universe will grab your attention in such a way that you'll want to keep coming back. You'll be hungry for more. Keep moving closer to God, and he will move closer to you. Now, this topic of of hell is pretty interesting. Uh, Even in our increasingly pagan society, uh, and by the way, I do not mean that to be a a derogatory term. In fact, if you read through scripture, you see that word pop up all over the place, pagan, pagan, pagan. Uh, It was never intended to be a derogatory term, but rather it is just a description of individuals who do not believe that God exists. Uh, They don't believe that there's a God out there, a God who gets involved in the day-to-day of our lives. So in our increasingly pagan society, uh, most Americans still believe in heaven, with studies indicating that around 65% of Americans believe uh, that they will end up in heaven when they die. Now, conversely, this is really interesting, uh, most Americans don't believe in hell with those same studies citing that less than 1% of Americans believe they will go to hell when they die. Uh, hell is an unpopular, uh, it's almost become an unmentionable topic, not only outside the church, but, but inside the church as well. For, for instance, how many of you have had a conversation recently about hell with a friend or, or a coworker or, or a neighbor? Uh, I'm guessing exactly zero of you. Uh, and some of you are probably thinking right now, like, good grief, I really picked a heck of a week <laughs> to check this place out. Uh, we, we share in that sentiment. So, so why? Why are we covering this topic today? Not not only does this topic fit squarely into the theme of this series, but more importantly, uh, this topic was frequently addressed by Jesus himself uh, during his earthly ministry. In fact, and this is actually a bit sobering when you think about it, uh, Jesus spoke about hell more often than he spoke about heaven. Uh, Jesus would actually speak more about hell than, than anyone else in scripture, more than Paul, more than any other Old Testament writer. Uh, Jesus is not merely our savior, but we say this often, right? He is, he is our Lord meaning that if he felt that certain topics were worthy of being addressed then then we should probably follow his lead and, and even if you're new to this whole church thing I'm guessing there's something inside of you that, that can appreciate that because here's my assumption my, my assumption is that that you want the truth in its entirety and, and you frankly wouldn't respect a pastor who who edited out certain parts of Jesus the guy who oh by the way is behind like all of this that the singular reason that we are gathered here today. I mean, you're a big boy, you're a big girl. If you found out down the road that I was selectively leaving out big parts of Jesus's teachings in the name of growing this church, or or what I perceived would be more palatable to our modern ears, I'm guessing you would be hurt, even even offended by that, right? So so if Jesus felt that this was an important topic to address, then then I think we ought to regularly address it as well. Additionally, uh, we should be taking our cues on how to address this topic from Jesus himself. Now, uh, if you grew up going to church, uh, you've likely had a, a bad experience uh, or two or three or four or five in regards to preachers or people inside the church speaking about, about hell. Uh, there are always a handful of people in churches, and we're probably no exception to this, who, who really, I mean, they just like really like talking about hell. They're kind of like strangely obsessed with hell. Uh, they're the people that quite literally want to scare the hell out of you. Uh, they talk about hell, in fact, like they were born and raised there. Uh, but, but one of the points I always like to mention, and it's a good way to kind of level set my tone this morning and, and my posture in regards to this topic, so I promise that this is as much for me as it is for you, uh, is that I always remind myself and all of you when we speak of hell that, that Jesus is too good to have to scare you with hell. Meaning, if I'm doing my job as the pastor of this church and telling you about the goodness of Jesus, I shouldn't really feel the need to use hell as a scare tactic. The analogy that I like to use, and I've used this in the past, so bear with me if this is getting old, imagine if you were to sit down with me and you just asked me very sincerely to share about my beautiful wife, Andrea. And and rather than than me telling you all about my amazing wife, I instead told you about all of the negative experiences that I had had with ex-girlfriends. That would be kind of a strange way to to describe Andrea, right? And and the same is true with Jesus. The testimony of Jesus can stand just fine on itself without having to use hell as a scare tactic. Now, Now, if the church of, let's say, 50 years ago, uh, talked way too much about hell, uh, then I think it's safe to say that the pendulum has swung too far the opposite way today. Uh, most churches, the reality is they, they never talk about hell. And, and track with me. I feel like this perfectly plays into Satan's hand. Think about it. If you were Satan and you were trying to develop a strategy, wouldn't the most brilliant game plan lie in convincing people that, that hell doesn't exist or, or that nobody goes there? I mean, isn't that kind of genius? I mean, it's sinister, but, but genius. Because if Satan could get people to believe those lies, that again, that hell doesn't exist or that nobody goes there, lost people would have no sense of urgency to give their lives to Jesus and followers of Jesus would have no sense of urgency to tell others about him, right? One of our values around here is, is assume the best. And I think a large part of the controversy surrounding hell uh, comes from misunderstanding. And so I'm going to assume the best. What I'm going to try to do today is is bring about clarity in regards to this topic. and, And I think the controversy will be squelched by said clarity. Now, the structure of today's message uh, is going to be pretty simple. I'm going to address some questions, four questions to be exact, that, that, that so commonly come up in regards to the topic of hell, and, and obviously I will do my best to, to answer these questions. So let's go ahead and just dive right in. Uh, question number one, why did God create hell? Now, the good news for us in regards to this question is that Jesus very directly addresses this question, uh, revealing to us, oh, by the way, that this is far from, from a new question. People have long wondered and, and pondered this, so, so I promise you're not alone. In Matthew chapter 25, we're given the answer here. I want you to keep in mind that these are Jesus' words that, again, have been preserved for us. Uh, But when the Son of Man, this is a title that Jesus would often use for himself, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence. And he will separate, kind of key word here, you're going to see that theme carried throughout this. He will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He he will place the sheep at his right hand, because again, he's a shepherd, he puts the sheep close to him and the goats at his left. That then the king, that is God, will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. Uh, How many of you uh, have heard the phrase before, all roads lead to God? It's a common sentiment that we hear right now in this day and age. We as Christians should actually agree with that. All roads, as indicated right here in this passage, lead to the judgment seat of God. There is coming a day when everyone will gather in God's presence and await their judgment. Now again, this word that we see pop up here, kingdom, uh, is a word that we see pop up all throughout the New Testament and it's referencing heaven. Who has heaven been created for? God, God prepared heaven for, for you. Each of us have been created in the image of God. It's what separates us from the rest of the created order. We've talked a ton about that in this series. We've been created in the image of God for the presence of God. God quite literally created heaven for you. Elsewhere in scripture, we're told that he has prepared a place for you. Now now seriously, church, how great is that? I I mean, think of how intentional God is in that way. The God of the universe who who created the the, the cosmos, all the stars, the heavens, the earth. God cares enough about you that he quite literally has prepared a a place for you. I, I think that's absolutely amazing. So then the question that becomes, well, well, what was hell created for? Just a couple of verses later, we're told the answer to that question. It says, then the king, that is God, will turn to those on the left and say, away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. So hell was created for Satan and his demons. Now, Christians will often say, God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life. And there's nothing wrong with that statement, by the way. It's true, but, but it's also incomplete. God loves you. He has a wonderful plan for your life. But here's what also is true. Satan hates you and has a horrific plan for your death. God has a plan to bless you. Satan has a plan to curse you. But, but there's really, really good news though with that church. Ultimately, you get to decide which plan you're on. One plan leads to eternity with God in heaven and the other leads to an eternity separated from God in hell. Now, now if you're new to this whole church thing, uh, naturally there's something inside of you right now that would push back, maybe even get a little defensive. And, and I totally understand that, right? You're going like, when the heck have I ever been on, on Satan's plan? So scripture is extremely clear that, that we are either for God or we are against him. There's no such thing as, as neutral or, or middle ground when it comes to, to following God. See, our creator has, has given us, that is the creation, a manual for life. And any time we disobey or, or, or we choose our own way rather than his way, we're actually following Satan. Those other options were birthed out of the father of lies. They, they were birthed from Satan himself. So, so when we go any other direction but God's, we are following a plan that has been devised by Satan. And, and when we sin, and I know that term, it feels so incredibly heavy, so we avoid it. But, but that's what following our way is. When we rebel, when we sin, Here's what happens. In Isaiah chapter 59, it says, it's your sins that have cut you off from God. Your sins have separated you from God. So, so you're starting to see this, this theme, sin separates, sin separates. Which brings us to question number two, what is hell? Uh, here's how I'm gonna answer that. Um, just speak in a very straightforward way, uh, not according to my preferences, not, not according to my feelings, not, not according to your preferences, your feelings, or what society might accept or not accept, but instead, let's just dive into Scripture and, and see what we are told there. Fair enough? R- reminding ourselves that, again, Jesus taught more on hell than anyone else in Scripture. Uh, Matthew chapter 25, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. Again, described as an eternal fire. In Matthew chapter 13, throwing the wicked into the fiery furnace. Uh, again, back to Matthew chapter 25, and they will go away into eternal punishment. L- Luke chapter 8, that the demons kept begging Jesus not to send them into the bottomless pit. Uh, Mark chapter 9, where, where the maggots never die. And the fire never goes out. Revelation chapter 20. Then the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. That they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Luke chapter 13, there will be weeping and, and gnashing of teeth. Gnashing of teeth is this this phrase that you see pop up throughout scripture, scripture that's this intense anger, this intense vitriol towards God. But, but the analogy that Jesus most frequently uses for hell is this word Gehenna. Uh, now, Gehenna specifically refers to, to an actual place. Uh, it's a valley outside of Jerusalem that you could still visit to this day. Uh, this was a place where demonic worship of false gods would take place. Uh, some really, really disturbing stuff. Stuff involving child sacrifices, sexual violence, sexual perversion. Uh, I mean, stuff that literally like, I, I would feel very, very uncomfortable talking about from this stage. And, and when the Israelites reclaimed Jerusalem, because of what had previously taken place there, they're like, we, we got to stay away from that place. And so Gehenna uh, basically became a dump site. Uh, it was a place where they would throw carcasses from deceased animals, trash, uh, bodies of, of criminals that they didn't feel were worthy of a proper burial. And in order to keep the stench down, that there would be this constant fire that would be burning on, on Gehenna. So imagine being very, very familiar with that place, knowing full well the history of what had taken place there and and what it currently constituted. And Jesus is constantly going out of his way to say, hey, hell, hell is like that. Now, now this would be a good time to remind us that oftentimes uh, when scripture speaks of hell, uh, metaphors are being used. Uh, For for instance, uh, hell is often described in scripture as a place of darkness. But but then it also talks about it being a place that these like fires are burning constantly. And right, if you're thinking about that logically, right, it's like how can it be dark if if there's a fire going? Again, that they're metaphors. But but me saying that shouldn't provide relief in our minds because reminder, whenever a metaphor is used, it points to something greater and, and bigger than the metaphor. Let me explain what I mean by, again, pointing to Scripture. In this particular instance, uh, we know that this is not a metaphor. This is a literal description of, of hell. We find this in Second Thessalonians chapter 1. It says, they, uh, those who turn from God, will be punished with eternal destruction for forever. And here's our key word again, forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. So, so very simply put, hell is eternal separation from God. Now, now this is really, really important to clarify. Uh, So often the picture that we have painted of hell, at least for those of us who grew up going to church, and I can't really explain this, but it seems pretty consistent amongst people who have grown up in the church. Uh, The picture we painted of hell in our minds is one of a bunch of people kind of standing at hell's gates, begging from hell to be brought up to heaven because they see how good it is in heaven, how terrible it is in hell, and, and they're begging God for mercy. Like, hey, please let me get up there. And we have this image of either God kind of continually turning his back and ignoring the the, the cries and the pleas of those people, or, or, or me, maybe even kind of like kicking them back like a la Santa Claus in a Christmas story, right? The kid climbs back up like the the, the, the slide and he's like, ah, I want a Red rider BB gun. He's like, you'll shoot your eye out, kid. And then he like shoves them back down the slide like that's God. He's like, get out of here. But, but, but track with me here. Why would people who spend their their entire time on this earth trying to avoid God, hating God, hating his ways, why would those people want to suddenly experience an eternity with him? For those individuals, being in heaven would be like a type of hell for them. Think about it this way, and I wish I had a lot more time to unpack what I'm about to say right now, but I I would challenge you and invite you to actually go read this chapter for yourself. In Jesus's longest teaching on hell, uh, which we find in Luke chapter 16, uh, that there's two people in this story. There's a rich man, and then there's this poor guy named Lazarus who spent his entire time on earth suffering. And, and Lazarus, he finds himself in heaven, and the rich guy finds himself in hell. And, and unfortunately, this has been a passage of scripture that has been long misunderstood, where people often take the meaning to be that, like, okay, you're poor, and you suffer here on this earth. You'll eventually find yourself in heaven in the afterlife, and those who are rich are going to find themselves in hell. And that's not the point of the story. In fact, if you read this for yourself, all that the rich man is asking of Lazarus is for some temporary relief. He's like, it's pretty brutal down here. Will you, Lazarus, just like point your finger down here and just give me a little relief from this torment, which would suggest that there is the ability to travel back and forth between hell and heaven. But notice that at no point in that story does the rich man express a desire for himself to go up to heaven. But because frankly, he's looking at heaven saying, "Ah." Eh, Yeah, I want some relief, but but I don't really want to be there either. Let let me illustrate it this way. Uh, For some people, uh, Disney World is like the happiest place on earth, right? Like you you literally can't picture a more enjoyable time than than, than spending a day or or a week or even a month at, at Disney World. Uh, now this past year, uh, specifically on Memorial Day, uh, my mother-in-law she gifted our family a trip to Disney World. And, and if you're watching right now, Tracy, my, my amazing mother-in-law, I am so thankful for your generosity, and, and I really mean that my kids and your grandchildren absolutely love that trip. It has truly been one of the highlights to this point in their life. Now now, for some people, again, Disney World is the most magical. it, it is like the singular, greatest place on this earth. but, but for me, if you've never been to Disney World before, let me kind of help you paint a picture right now. Uh, imagine, imagine standing in line at the secretary of state and, uh, and that's it. That's, that's the whole thing. Like Disney is, is my hell. Like you literally could not pay me to go back to Disney World. In fact, let me drive this illustration home a little bit further. Uh, There was a savior involved in my trip to Disney World, to to hell, to deliver me from hell. Uh, And his name was Oakley, my my youngest son, because he was too young to stay at the park the entire day and, and, and so when he was like kind of wearing out, I would just be like, man, I'll just, I'll take one for the team. I'll, I'll go back to the hotel with Oakley and we'll just kind of relax. He'll take a nap and, you know, you guys just enjoy the rest of the day there and I'll go back and hang out with Oakley. In fact, there was one day where we were just like, he's just going to be too tired. And, and we didn't have to go to hell at all that day. We just got to like hang out at the pool the entire day, just, just me and Oakley. Now, now I know again, some of you, you really like Disney and, and I want to be fair here this morning, P- please hear me loud and clear on this, um, there is something wrong with you. Okay, I'm just going to assume that you probably also own a cat. Okay, are, are you seeing my point? Uh, for a lot of people, Disney is like where it's at. I mean, you save all year round. It is the greatest vacation that you could possibly go on. It does not get any better than Disney. And for others, people like me, it's it's sort of like this mini hell. That's the dynamic that Scripture is describing when it speaks of hell being eternally separated from God. Those who spent their entire lives avoiding God will in hell get what they always wanted. Absolute separation from from God. And here's church why, why that should bring about deep sorrow and grief in every one of us. God is the source of all that is good in this world. He's the source of all love, all joy, all peace, all beauty, all that is true, all that is good. See, even those that deny and resist God, they still experience the radiance of his goodness on a daily basis. I love how Max Lucado puts it. He says, people who want nothing of God still enjoy his benefits. Adolf Hitler witnessed the wonder of the Alps. Saddam Hussein enjoyed the blushing sunrise of the desert that the dictator, child molester, serial rapist, and drug peddler all enjoy the common grace of God's goodness, that they hear children laugh, smell dinner cooking, and tap their toes to the rhythm of a good song, that they deny God, yet they enjoy his benevolence. But but church, these privileges are confiscated at the gateway to hell. No, No matter how low your life may seem to be at this present moment, It is nowhere near what will be experienced in in hell. Which brings us to question number three. How how could a loving God send people to hell? Now, now as I answer this, I I, I think it's worth mentioning that the only people who really seem to struggle and and, and ask this question in large measure are, are those who live in first world countries, Western people. And here's why. In places like America, nobody thinks they're a sinner anymore. We live in a victim culture where where nothing is ever your fault. It's always somebody else's fault. We are so slow to accept a responsibility for really anything. It's my parents' fault. It's the government's fault. It's the system's fault. We're left with entire generations declaring, you're the villain and I'm the victim. But, But what does scripture teach us? I mean, come on, what, what do our own lives reveal to us? It's laid out to us in Romans chapter three, for, for everyone has sinned. We, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. And come on, even if you're still wrestling with all of this, even if you're not even sure if a God exists, come on, you know that if there is a God out there and there is a standard that we are held to, that we all fall short. We're not the victims, we're the villains. We have committed cosmic treason against the Lord of the universe. And isn't it interesting that how could a loving God send people to hell is so frequently asked? I mean, it's asked all the time, but yet I have never, not a single time, and I don't think I ever will. I've never heard anyone ask the question, how could such a holy God ever allow someone like me into heaven? And here's the really good news, church. God does not send people to hell. Our choice to separate ourselves from God is what sends us to hell, not God wanting you to be in hell. Church, come on. This is the beauty of the gospel. This is the beauty of Jesus God would come down to this earth. He would dwell amongst us. He he would take on the limitations of human flesh in order to be crucified, not only for you, but instead of you, to to, to keep you from going to hell. Those are the lengths that he would go to in order to win you back, not pay you back, but to win you back. And what is one of my favorite passages in all of scripture? In 2 Peter chapter 3, it says, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. I hear the sentiment from Christians all the time. Shoot, I have thought this many, many times. How come Jesus hasn't come back yet? I mean, how could, our, how could our world possibly get any worse? So I mean, what is God waiting for? It's like, ding, 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 th- this is why. Here is the answer to that question. He's being patient for your sake and your mom's sake and your dad's sake and your neighbor's sake and your coworker's sake, for your friend's sake, for your sake. He does not want anyone to end up in hell. His deepest desire is that we would all be united with him in heaven. precisely why he would send us his son church God doesn't want eternity without you some of you you really need to hear this today he isn't an angry judge he's a loving savior The, the, the cross proved two things for all time that man hated God enough to kill him and that God loved man enough to die for him Jesus hangs on a cross at the entrance to hell and declares to every person who dare enter, to get in there, you have to go over my dead body. Which brings us to question four. What does the existence of hell mean for me? I want to show us a quote right now. Um, I've shown it before. Uh, It rocked my world when I saw it. Uh, When I read it the first time, uh, it comes from a guy named Penn Jillette, uh, where if you know, he he is one half of the comedic uh, magician duo of Penn and Teller. Uh, And by the way, a, a staunch atheist. He says, if you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, and atheists who think people shouldn't proselytize and who say, just leave me along and keep your religion to yourself. How much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? Do do, do we understand what what he's saying there? He's going, hey, if you Christians truly believe that Jesus holds the keys to everlasting life and subsequently holds the keys to making sure that you don't end up in hell. Why aren't more Christians telling me about that Jesus? For the followers of Jesus in this room, the existence of hell should produce three things in us. Grief, gratitude, and, and urgency. Grief, gratitude, and urgency. Deep grief that... That people we care deeply about could spend eternity separated from God. You can't celebrate the reality of heaven without grieving over the reality of hell. Gratitude that that God would create a way back to him through the redemptive work of his one and only son, Jesus. Jesus. And, and an urgency to share Jesus with those whom we have any level of influence with. For, for those of you who are sitting and watching right now and you have yet to step into a relationship with Jesus. And today you're hearing about how deeply God loves you and the lengths that he's gone to to win you back. And that there's something inside of you that's being stirred up right now. I, I have incredible news for you. Today could be the day of your salvation where you do not have to spend one more second wondering where you might spend eternity. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says, God saved you, and that, that means you, by his grace when you believed. God would make the standard almost incomprehensibly simple. It is by belief, by faith, by trust. Belief In his son, that is how you are saved. And he reminds us, and you can't take credit for this, it is a gift from God. Salvation isn't a reward for the good things we've done. Nothing we have ever done or will ever do compelled God to move this direction with us. So none of us can boast about it. For we, he reminds us, are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So, so if you are watching right now, and again, God's stirring something up inside of you, my encouragement to you would be very simple turn and go running into the arms of Jesus. And it could be as simple as you saying right now, bowing your head wherever you're watching from, and just saying, Heavenly Father, I recognize that I am a sinner. I recognize that I have rebelled against you. But I believe in the redemptive work of your son. I believe that you sent your one and your only son so that I do not have to spend eternity separated from you. And so today on this day, I choose to put my trust in Jesus. And from this day forward, I choose no longer to live for myself, but instead for him. It is in the the, the saving name of your son, Jesus, that we pray this, amen. And we're told that just like that, we're back. Just like that, our our relationship with the almighty living God is restored. Now, if you just uh, took that step today, if, if you entered into that relationship with Jesus today, we wanna encourage you, do not walk one more second on this journey alone. Well, will you please right now text faith decision to 94,000? Uh, and what that will do is that'll get you in contact uh, with one of our staff members and more importantly, get you into community with other people who are also moving towards Jesus. We, we were never intended to walk this journey alone, uh, but lockstep with other people again who, who are also moving towards Jesus. So I, I beg you right now again, text faith decision to 94,000.